Have you exercised your mind's eye recently? We have six verses in the scripture selection this morning. The beginning three and the ending three of chapter 48 of the Psalms. And they're rich in imagery. Stand with me, if you will, while we read these together. And if you want to just listen and imagine with your mind's eye, please do. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, it is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the utmost heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. And skipping over to verse 12. Walk about Zion. Picture it in your mind. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Gail. Um, before I get into this today, just wondering if um, any of you might have a word of testimony from what you experienced this week in our revival services, because I think that happened. <laughs> Anyone? It's been a tough day to get you guys to respond already. It's <laughs> Um, this is always a, this is an, a, a psalm, and especially the last uh, three verses, was it? Yeah, 12 through 14. Yeah, that, that Gail read have always kind of intrigued me. You know, there are some things um, that we have to be familiar enough with to know well. Like my wife's voice. Um, when Julie calls on the phone, I don't have to say, who is this? Right? Wouldn't be good, probably, if I did. <laughs> Although, I have to tell you a little story about her. She used to walk to the... When we lived on the coast, she would walk across town. It was maybe a mile to the church uh, at the end of the day, and then she would ride back home with me. And she would call to let me know she was coming so that I would be there when she got there and could give her a ride back home. So one day, she called the, the church, thought she called the church, and said, Honey, I'm coming. Um, I'm walking. Uh, would you pick me up and take me home? And somebody on the other end said, Yes. 
she got to the church and I wasn't there and she was wondering why in the world did he... I'd gone to one of the high school soccer games and we got home that night and we're talking and I said, you never called me. We're still wondering who the guy on the other end was. And if he's still waiting for her to show up so he can take her home, I don't know. We better be familiar enough with our spouse's voice to know them well. Um, remember when we were kids, you had, to, you had to learn to tell time. Now with digital stuff, that's not as important. But, and that was a process, wasn't it? You kind of, over time, you learn to read the face of the clock and what the hands meant. We... We have a tendency, if we've lived in a home for very long, to be familiar with the layout. And most of us can get up in the dark and, and navigate our way through the rooms. And, and unless, you know, the dog is asleep on the floor and you step on her or somebody moved a chair, why well, you can do so unharmed in the dark because you're familiar enough with the layout of the house to know it well. Um, if you operate an automobile, hopefully you're familiar with enough, at least through practice, to know what all the little gauges and now this is just my own thing, but um, there's a vast majority of people in Colorado that don't know what the little stick on the left side of this column is for, but and I try to help them with that, but <laughs> but uh, but we need to be familiar enough to know well how the car operates and even to know the rules of the road because if you don't, if you haven't grown familiar and know them well, you can get in trouble with the guy who has lights on top of his car, right? And I think that's what this psalm is about and we're going to dive into that this morning. See, I believe that Physical structures that are talked about in this psalm, physical structures represent spiritual characteristics. The psalmist is using the physical to represent the spiritual. Even though these verses do speak of actual physical features or structures, they are intended to represent spiritual qualities or characteristics. Now, my message is going to focus on verses 12 through 14, but I had Gail read the first three verses because they're an example of what I want to speak to. In verses 1 through 3, the psalmist is talking about the holy city, Jerusalem. He refers to it as the city of our God, His holy mountain, and the city of the great King. Although you could lay that over maybe on heaven someday as well. Again, just kind of using physical to represent the spiritual. And it says that God, in verse 3, God is in her citadels. Those are actual physical structures. But then the psalmist says, He has shown Himself to be her fortress. So God is in her citadels, but He has shown Himself to be her fortress. Not something that's made out of huge blocks of stone, but God Himself is her fortress. Even though speaking of man-made defensive structures, the psalmist is saying that the holy city's protection in reality comes not from those structures, but from God Himself, whom they cannot see. 
So we, we see that same kind of language in, in, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 1, where the prophet writes, We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. So it's talking about structures, but it's saying that really it's salvation that are those walls and ramparts. Again, the physical is used to give us a clear picture of the spiritual. Salvation, like walls and ramparts that can be seen and touched, is the protective agent or whatever you call it, uh, it's the protective thing for the city. It's the salvation of God. So then we look down to verse 14. And in verse 14, we just talked about Zion, her towers, her ramparts, her citadels, and it says then in verse 14, for this God is our God. What? What do you mean? Towers, ramparts, citadels, for this God is our God? It's a referring to those previous verses. The towers, the ramparts, the citadels. These things represent the characteristics or qualities of God. Who He is, what He is like, what He does. And they are also features that are representative of what the psalmist refers to as Zion. These are things or qualities that are present or true of God and they should be present or true of His people as well. And something else we need to understand here is the use of the word Zion. Zion is used in script, as used in Scripture can represent different things. It often refers to the holy city, Jerusalem. Sometimes it refers to the hill on which it was built. And sometimes it refers to the temple. But in the context of Psalm 48, Zion is a reference to the people of God. Zion is a reference to the people of God. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. And Peter's quoting from the Old Testament here. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Who's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus. Now, they didn't plant Jesus as some kind of rock in the physical structure of Jerusalem, did they? When we talk about Zion and Jesus being the cornerstone, we're talking about Him being the bedrock, the cornerstone of His people, the church, God's people. Zion refers to God's people. And it says in this psalm that our responsibility as God's people is to walk about. That's what it says in verse 12. Walk about Zion. The instruction in this passage is to walk about. It says to go around, to count, to consider well, to view. And we are to do this to do those things so that we can tell what we see and experience to the next generation. The picture here is that of one walking about the city or or going around the outside of the walls and looking it over. But this is not a a casual inspection or some sort sort of hurried trip just to get it done. 
The idea here is one of intent, careful observation. Developing a familiarity with, getting to know well, committing to memory, making this a part of yourself so that you then can recount and make known or describe in detail orally. You can pass on what you've seen and experienced. Have you ever took someone to a place where you grew up? or to grandma's house, or to a favorite spot. And you're able to share this place with someone and tell them all about it because this is a place you love or love to be and you know it well. Um, when I first met Julie, um, I think my... Well, let me step back a little. My mom died when I was a sophomore in college. I met Julie when I was a senior. And she was only a freshman. Yeah. And um, when my mom died, our family, I don't know, kind of blew up. Uh, My dad packed his bags and went home to Florida to be with his people. And he was gone for a year or so. And when he came back, um, he lived in this little dingy basement apartment. So I didn't, we didn't really have a, home anymore to go back to. The home we grew up in was gone. And then I meet Julie, and um, I don't remember the first time she took me home, um, but I know there was the first time that I went to the farm in Grandview, Washington. And, um, you know, I I got to experience uh, the place where Julie would spent a lot of her growing up years. And this is a place she knew and loved and was completely familiar with. And so, you know, I got a tour of the house. Um, It was, by the way, a Sears and Roebuck house. It came out on a train, I think, and it was kind of unique in that way. So, you know, I got to see the house and I got to see the basement in the house and then I went out to see your mom's garden and then they took me out to the silo that didn't have a top on it anymore but had the covered walkway, you know, with the ladder inside of it. But you had to be careful when you looked up there because a barn owl lived up in there and if he decided to do something at the wrong time. Anyway, that happened to Julie once. I got to see the machine shed where where dad parked the pickup truck and the tractors, and then they had one of those great big old red barns, you know, with a big roof like this. And, and um, you know, there was some stuff in, in the barn, and I got to see the room where they used to milk the cow when they had a cow. And, and then, you know, her dad had raised pigs at one time. By the time I met her, the pigs were gone, but I, I saw where the pigs used to be. And then we got a... Then we got a tour of the asparagus fields because her dad was an asparagus farmer by this time. He had a hundred acres of the stuff and so out we went through the fields and this was a place that Julie loved and was entirely familiar with and she was able to share it with me. And I'll tell you that after a while I came pretty familiar with it too. See, the passing on, the telling, is in fact the final instruction in this, really in this whole process of this psalm. We are to know 
well enough to make this a part of ourselves so that we can tell others. And in this case, it says the others are supposed to tell is the next generation. And this certainly does apply to our own children and to our grandchildren and maybe to our great-grandchildren. It's important to tell them. But in the sense that this instruction is to the corporate people of God, to Zion, the church, then the next generation would, would apply to those who God, God is working in their hearts. They're, they're, they're be, going to become believers. They're going to become followers of Jesus Christ. It's those whose hearts and minds are open to the gospel and your own testimony and to those who are new to the faith. Those are the next generation in the church, be they five or ninety-five. In fact, that's at the heart of what we're called to do as the church. We're supposed to reach a next, a new generation. And then we're supposed to tell them and instruct them with that we know so well that it's become a part of us so that they in turn can walk about and go around and count and consider well and view and then tell the generation that will follow them. It's a process that's supposed to go on and on. Which brings us then to those things that we're to observe so carefully and know so well. What about God and the church do the towers and the ramparts and the citadels represent? Well, the towers represent vision. The towers represent vision. Towers were located at strategic places in the wall because they were vantage points for vision. We're to count the towers to understand God's vision for us so that we can share in and pursue that vision. Do you think God has a vision for us? Do you have a vision for our church? I mean, do you have a vision beyond where we are today? I think this is a vision for where we are today, but towers are meant so you can look out here somewhere, right? Charlie Shedd once wrote, Lord, help me understand what you had in mind when you made the original me. God has something in mind for all of us. It's His vision for our lives. Our vision then comes from what God has in mind for us. The difficulty is that too many people in our world do not know that God has them in mind at all. The only vision they have, if they have one at all, is shaped by the world. And by the world, I mean the surrounding spiritual atmosphere that, as Eugene Peterson puts it, erodes faith, dissipates hope, and corrupts love. That's where their vision, if they have a vision, comes from. It's a system of thought that includes human thinking and intelligence, clever and appealing logic, competition, creativity and resourcefulness. If that is the basis of your vision, then you are viewing from the basement. There's an example of that in the Scripture. 
I think it was made reference to by Nathan this past week. Remember when the first time Israel came to enter the promised land, Moses sent out 12 guys to spy out the land. And you know, when they came back, there were 10 guys that were looking at things from the basement. Right? Oh, we can't do this. They are giants. They are fortified cities. That's pretty limited vision. That's what they were seeing. Thick walls. Big, tall, strong guys. We can't do this. There were two guys who were looking at things from the tower. They were looking out here. And here's what they said. God said we can do this. We can do this. God said we can do this. We can do this. Look what lies before us. I mean, you know, it is truly a land of milk and honey. I mean, they even brought back evidence of it. So we can, we can have a vision from the basement or we can have a vision from the tower. And I think it's significant that in this, this scripture, it is a tower from which the vision is gained. A structure that rises above all that surrounds it. See, godly vision is a higher vision. It is a vision for reconciliation, for forgiveness, for healing, for equipping. It is a vision for eternity. A vision that ten guys did not have. If we don't understand God's vision for us personally, for the church, and for mankind, we certainly cannot share it with anyone else. So, have you counted the towers? Do you know God's vision? Can you be a part of fulfilling it? And then he refers to the ramparts. Ramparts are fortifications for defense. Ramparts represent refuge and protection. Ramparts represent refuge and protection. The psalmist in Psalm 73 verse 28 says, But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my refuge. Where do you turn when the bottom drops out of your life? What do you do when circumstances punch holes in the fabric of your life and threaten to engulf you in pain and confusion? And there's all kinds of things that we face that might fit that description. You've lost your job, the one you thought you'd have forever. Your doctor says that all the the tests indicate the worst. You find yourself in financial crisis. Your kids reject all they've been taught and are doing things that break your heart. Your marriage is feeling the strain and your mate is talking separation or divorce. Someone you love very much died. Do you know God is your refuge, your place of safety in times like this? Have you considered, well, the ramparts? If we have not known God as a rampart in our own lives, we surely cannot share Him as such with others. And because God really is a rampart, we as His church need to be a rampart of protection and refuge for those who need it as much as we have needed it at times in our lives.
And why do we need to consider well the ramparts? So that we can tell. Because distress and sorrow are part of life. We've experienced it, but we've had a rampart to turn to. Right? Chuck Swindoll says, Eyes get red from weeping, the heavy weights of sorrow press down. Depression, that serpent of despair, slithers silently through the soul's back door. That's why we need the refuge, the protection of a rampart. We need it because we are sinful and, 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 and struggle sometimes and there are just things we can't seem to overcome in our lives and there's a shame and the embarrassment that goes with that. An and old British minister says it all when he writes, this is the bitterest of all, and I think I can certainly relate to this, to know that suffering need not have been, that is the harvest of one's own sowing, that the vulture which feeds the vitals, feeds on the vitals, is a nestling of its own rearing. Ah, this is pain. In other words, we know that the pickle we're in is of our own making. And so we're sometimes haunted by self-inflicted guilt and sorrow. And people search for a place to hide. They need a place of refuge. They need a place of protection. They need a rampart. And they need a rampart because we're surrounded by adversaries and sometimes misunderstanding attacks us. And the psalmist wrote, Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. Ever felt like that? The thought of what people are saying is more than some can bear. Listen, discouraged people don't need critics. They need a willing, caring, available someone. They need a rampart. God is. We should be. Did you get that? God is a rampart. We should be. And then finally, he says, we're to view the citadels. The citadel... As the, as the residence of the king represented his authority, and the authority of the king was in his words. Citadels represent the authority of God's word. How well do you know the words of the king? And is there authority behind your telling? I want to share with you an article, it's kind of lengthy, and it's from a number of years ago, and you'll recognize this with some of the names that are mentioned, but I think it makes a good point. It says, Jamie O'Neill is a teacher. The man has taught for about 15 years in community colleges and currently teaches in a college in the state of Washington. Over the years, O'Neill has become increasingly concerned about the lack of knowledge among so many of his students. It's not that he was concerned about their lack of technical knowledge or complex facts, but that so many of the general facts they thought they knew just ain't so. One day he decided to do something about it, hoping to demonstrate to his students just how lacking they were in the basics, not simply to expose or to take pot shots at their ignorance, 
but to help them see that they had a problem and could hide it no longer, he devised an 86-question quiz on general knowledge. He gave it to his college English class. There were 26 people in the classroom, ranging in age from 18 to 54, all of whom had completed at least one quarter of college work. These 86 questions were not what you would call complex, technical, or tricky. They were simple facts about the world around them, facts about people, facts about geography, facts about life in general. Professor O'Neill was so startled by what he discovered that he recorded his findings and later wrote about them in Newsweek in an article entitled, No Illusions in the Classroom. Here's a sampling of what he found that ain't so. Ralph Nader is a baseball player. Charles Darwin invented gravity. Christ was born in the 16th century. J. Edgar Hoover was a 19th century president. The great Gatsby was a magician in the 1930s. Franz Joseph Haydn was a songwriter who lived in the same decade in the 1930s. Sid Caesar was an early Roman emperor. Mark Twain invented the cotton gin. Jefferson Davis played guitar for the Jefferson Airplane. Benito Mussolini was a Russian leader in the 18th century. Dwight D. Eisenhower came earlier and served as president during the 17th century. Socrates was an American Indian chief. I know. it's. He adds this. My students were equally creative in their understanding of geography. They knew, for instance, that Managua is the capital of Vietnam, that Cape Town is in the United States, and that Beirut is in Germany. Bogota, of course, is in Borneo, unless it's in China. Camp David is in Israel. I guess that one kind of makes sense. And Stratford-on-Avon is in Grenada. Gdansk is in Ireland. Cologne is in the Virgin Islands. Mazatlan is in Switzerland. Belfast was variously located in Egypt, Germany, Belgium, and Italy. Leningrad was transported to Jamaica and Montreal to Spain. And on and on it went. Most students answered incorrectly far more than they answered correctly. Several of them meticulously wrote, I don't know, 86 times, or 80 times, or 62 times. I would say to every one of them, don't make application to get on Jeopardy. <laughs> You'll be a miserable failure, right? Here's the point. What is true in the realm of general knowledge can be equally true in the realm of biblical knowledge. Too many people don't really know what the Bible says. They know too many things that really ain't so. Knowledge of God's Word gives substance to our faith. It is the authority of the King's Word that gives authority and validity to our telling the next generation. Are you regularly viewing the citadels so that they become a part of you? 
the authority of God's word. The only authority in our words comes from the authority of the king's word. So, have you gone or are you going around Zion? Are these things a part of who you are or who we are? Towers? Vision? Ramparts? Refuge and protection? Citadels? The authority of God's Word? They should be. They should be. Uh, We're going to partake of communion, and if we could have those who will be serving us, go ahead and, as soon as you can, gentlemen, come forward and begin distributing the elements.